If you're just coming in and joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series called Full, where we're looking at all of the places in our lives that are empty and what it means to live into the promise that Jesus came for. Because he told his listeners, I have come that you may have life, life to the full. And so the question mark in our life is, what does it mean to live a full life? And in the places that we feel empty, how do we get filled up? And what are we filling ourselves up with if we're not filling ourselves up with the presence of God? And so as we've been talking these first few weeks in our journey, in order to find out the kind of life that Jesus offered to us, here's what we've discovered so far. We've lost our wonder of who God is. We've paid far more attention to the things that God does. And we've lost our wonder in who God is. And he wants us to be full of wonder. But he also wants us to be full of joy. And we talked about how hard it is in seasons of difficulty when we're handed a set of circumstances that we did not plan for, nor did we expect, nor did we want, if we're really honest. And God says that it's possible, even in the midst of that, to choose joy because joy is leading not to necessarily an imminent outcome in the moment that will satisfy us, but to an eternal hope that says that God redeems all things for good. He wants us to be full of wonder. He wants us to be full of joy. And last week we talked about that one of the things that God wants us to be full of is confidence in his abundance. We serve a plentiful God, a God who gives exceedingly and abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine. And every time we put God in a box and just talk about the fact that God only met this need in the nick of time, or we talk about the fact that God showed up just in the nick of time, we're putting limiters on a God who is limitless. He is abundantly generous, and he then wants us to live as people who are also abundantly generous. He wants us to live full of his generosity. I can be generous with what I have because God will always replenish my stores. He never runs out. If those are the things that have been missing, then what else could we possibly talk about? Well, I don't know about you, but the last two weeks in our world in particular— watching the political unrest we've been living in, watching the, the, the people in quiet towns starting to fear for their own safety because they don't know when they can go out into a public place. I still am, I'm still dealing and reeling with the shock of people walking into a Kroger and not coming home. If there's anything that we're really missing in the world, I think the answer is peace. It's the one thing that leaves us feeling more empty than anything else. It's the place where we feel the vacuum in our lives the most. We want peace so desperately. We want that calm assurance. We want to feel security. We want to feel the, the, the feeling that comes with knowing that everything is going to be okay, but we live in a world where we know that that's just not true. But do you know that peace has become the unattainable achievement of humankind? What I mean by that is everybody talks about how we're going to get it. Everybody has it as their big ideal. They're shooting for something. They're, they're pursuing something. They're going after something relentlessly that nobody has ever been able to achieve. Whether you're a farmer who's dealing with the stress of flood or maybe drought or a businessman who's facing the pressures and deadlines at the office, or a teacher who's constantly trying to corral kids in the classroom and get their attention, or maybe you're just a student just trying to make it through the semester. Everybody wants peace. 
pageant contestants have promoted it. Politicians have made it their platform. People of faith have promised that it's possible. But even Bono admits in a U2 song that we still haven't found what we're looking for. So why can't we find it? Why is peace the one thing that we need the most that is impossible to find? I think it's because of where we're looking. For instance, peace is not a place we can go. Peace is not a place that we arrive at. If you ask people to paint you a picture of peace, they might tell you, oh, take me to the beach, right? Just put me on the shore and let me, let me see the waves crashing or, or put me at a cabin in the woods with some solitude and some quiet or cow gone, take me away. That might be dated for some of you, but there was a time, right? Finding a place away from the busyness of life doesn't offer you permanent peace. It's just a momentary interruption in the noise. You can get quiet for a time, but no matter when you run away, you always have to come back to where you were. And the security that you want to find to quiet your aching heart is not found in a place. Neither is peace the end of hostility between our nations. In the midst of this most recent season of what I think is unprecedented political tension, where now our position in the world as the United States of America is equally as tenuous as it has ever been. The United States, long respected and known as the keepers of peace in the world, the keepers of justice and what is right. Now we feel tension even with our allies and we've become an international sideshow to people. And the reason that we don't feel peace at home is because we don't have it abroad. Peace isn't just the ending of hostility. It's not a place we can go. And just like peace isn't a place, it's also not a season. We've been conned and lulled into thinking that the unrest that we feel in our life is just because there's a, a change coming, right? And as soon as we get through this season, we'll get to the season of peace. Like, as soon as I can make it through this weird space, I'm, I'm in a different season of my life, we say, that things will be better. But the problem is that when we reach the fullness of the season we're in, we still don't find the peace that we're longing for. We've gotten through one season only to get into another, and we've still not found what we're looking for. Peace isn't something that you arrive at. Neither is it just a feeling that comes over you that you can gain or lose depending on your circumstance. When you look up the definition of peace in a dictionary, dictionary definitions will tell you that peace is a freedom from stuff. Peace is a freedom from disturbance or from suffering or from war or from violence. So that means if I'm running away from suffering, that if I use substances like drugs or alcohol or food to numb my pain and pretend that I don't feel for a while, that might look like peace, but it's not. Or when I'm despairing or I'm discouraged and, and I need something to pick me up, a whirlwind romance or coming into some wealth might temporarily make my pain go away, but it doesn't bring the, bring the peace that I need. Peace isn't any of those things. 
because all of that is temporary, temporary pacifiers to fill the empty space in our hearts. True peace. The thing that we're constantly searching for to fill up the giant hole inside of us that we have spent a lot of life putting everything else inside. People and relationships and money and power and jobs and material wealth and stuff. I don't know about you, but I'm over stuff, y'all. I got too much stuff. And no matter how much stuff I acquire, it doesn't fill up the hole inside of me because true peace isn't stuff. And until we know what we need to search for, we'll never find what we're looking for. And thank God that God has the answer. Because the problem is that we're looking for peace in something instead of someone. Because the answer for our need for peace is not a what. It's a who. The answer for our need for peace in this life is not what we have but who we have. The Apostle Paul was writing probably his most profound letter of all time to the church at Rome. And in writing to the church, he said, listen, I, I want to make an argument, not just to the people who are already believing, but I want to make an argument for the unrest you feel in your life so that you can go out and tell everybody else, this is the way that you will find peace. And this is what he writes in Romans chapter 5. Since we are now justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the path to peace isn't something, it's someone, and his name is Jesus. And if you want to know peace in this life, then you've got to know Jesus Jesus is the peace we need, not just a knowledge of Jesus, not just, I know that Jesus is the Son of God, I know how this church thing works, I know the story about him coming to earth and dying on a cross and being raised on the third day, not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. Knowing him and having a relationship with him, a growing, driving, deepening relationship with Jesus. If you want peace, you need Jesus. Not to know of him, you need to know him. Paul wrote that through Jesus, God reconciled everything in the world to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. There is no peace possible here or anywhere else save through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can dig for it, you can mine for it, you can accumulate for the rest of your life, and you will never have what you need until you take hold of Jesus. And I have good news for you today. He is free. There is no cost to receive Jesus because he paid the cost for all of us. The peace of Christ is nothing like the peace that the world offers because the peace of Christ is not temporary or momentary. It is a permanent state of being. Have you ever arrived in a moment in your life where you just kind of felt this onset of calm? I did this week at about four o'clock in my living room 
when all of the loud teenage boys that had come to celebrate my son's 13th birthday had gone home. And it was quiet for a minute. And for a sudden moment, there was peace. And then we had a science fair project. And so (laughs) peace is not temporary in Jesus. It's permanent because I'm not placing my desire to find peace in a thing. I'm placing it in a person who never changes. The alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the unchanging, awe-inspiring, incredible, awesome God of heaven who came in the form of a man to offer himself so that all of mankind could experience the kind of peace we're searching for. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, every time you read the word peace, the words there for peace, both shalom, which you may have heard, but arene, which is the New Testament word for peace, both imply that peace is a journey toward wholeness or completeness. To talk about peace means to talk about being complete and whole. When people would greet one another, They wouldn't say, how are you? They would say, how is your peace? How is your peace? Are you whole? Are you lacking? Are you missing something? Not how are you? Did you have a good day? But is your life holding together? I wonder what would happen if we actually started talking peace to one another instead of asking questions that we honestly sometimes don't care about the answer to. How many times does somebody say, how are you? And you go to answer and you can tell they're not really listening. How many times have you asked just to be nice, but you're not paying attention? How much more does it mean to say to someone, but how is your peace? Are you whole? Are you fulfilled? Are you secure? Because the general meaning of shalom in the Old Testament was this sense of completion and fulfillment, to enter into a state of wholeness and unity. It was the restoration of relationship, being at peace with myself, being at peace with the one who made me, being at peace with my neighbor, and yes, even being at peace with my enemy. The restoration, the wholeness of relationship. And that idea carried right on over into the New Testament into the time of Jesus' life. The word for peace has its root in a word that means to join or tie or bind together in a whole. The root word of peace in the New Testament literally means to tie or to bind together in wholeness. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to restore and rejoin and bring together into wholeness humanity's relationship with God, his Father, and by doing that, also with each other. Maybe you know the story and maybe you don't. But Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life for all of mankind to atone for the sins, the unrighteousness, the things that stood in between us and a holy God. He paid for it all one time. And in the moment that he sacrificed himself, pure and unblemished and without sin, he atoned and restored our relationship with God. And in that moment, Jesus joined together God and man in an act of selfless love. In the outstretched arms of 
Jesus on the cross, we see an image not only of sacrifice, but also a welcoming embrace from the Father. Jesus' outstretched arms are an invitation. It's not only that he suffered our penalty there, but with his arms stretched wide, he said, my Father now receives the world because there's a way for you and he to be in relationship, but also the picture of Jesus with outstretched arms reaches from one side to the other. And don't you just wish sometimes we could find some politicians who could reach from one side to the other, that we could find some city leaders who would reach from one side to the other, that we could find some Jesus followers who could figure out a way to reach from one side to the other and find people who need the hope and the peace that we know that we already have in Jesus Christ. That's what happened at Calvary. And that image, that image of Jesus stretched out on a cross is where we both vividly see God's grace and his unconditional love for the entire world. It's where he invites then us to reach beyond ourselves and extend the same kind of grace and the same kind of love that we have received to see other people as valuable and worthy of love just like God saw us, just like God sees you. Jesus didn't just die, by the way, for you and me. He didn't just die for the people inside this building. He didn't just die for the people who have already taken his name. He died for everybody. And if we get lulled into this sense of complacency and satisfaction that as long as I'm in, it's okay, we have totally missed it, friends. Because there is a God in heaven who tarries to return because there are people who don't yet know him. And do you know whose job it is to tell him? It's not just mine. It's ours. And the peace that we so desperately want to see in the world can come about if we become peace promoters, if we become not just peacekeepers, but as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. It's time to be people who help create peace where we go by carrying the love of Christ into the world. Jesus died for the whole world, the people we like and the people we don't. That might be hard to swallow, but you won't know peace until you can accept the fact that Jesus came for everyone. And when you can receive that kind of truth, then you will experience the beginning of what peace can really bring. So peace then is much more than freedom from the things that harm us, but freedom to see like he sees and love like he loves. It's not freedom from oppression. It's not freedom from war. It's not freedom from violence. It's freedom to live into the life that God has called us to live, this full life. If you want to experience life to the full, stop running away from things and run to Jesus. Because he's the peace that you need. It's an invitation for us to join together with other people, both the people who are like us and the people who are not, to experience completeness and wholeness with God, my neighbor, and even the people who don't like me. When Christ came to reunite mankind with their creator, Jesus literally broke down barriers between heaven and earth. There was a massive chasm that had been created because of the sin of man, the unrighteousness that we lived with, 
because the holy God can't tolerate sin. And when Jesus came, he broke down every dividing wall, the one that divided earth from heaven and the one that divided man from man. Paul describes the work of Jesus this way. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated all of us. And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself, hang on, in him one new people from two groups. One people. Maybe if we actually focused on the part of who we are in America, that one nation under God part, where he joined us all together, which includes people who have come to us who are not like us, and don't forget that in our very beginnings, none of us look like each other anyway. This country made up of immigrants and people from all nations, and the God of heaven could unite not just two groups, friends, all groups of people into one. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility, oh, hold on, our hostility toward each other was put to death. Paul's talking about a time where there are people who have said, listen, I've done the religious thing my whole life. I'm living to please God. I know what it looks like. Here it is. And a whole group of people who are starting to hear about this God and want a piece of the action. And the people on the inside go, you don't have the right credentials. And God said, oh, I can fix that. Here's my son. And suddenly there were no more barriers. It wasn't about the family that you'd been born into. It wasn't about the kind of meat that you ate on your plate. It wasn't about any of that because it was always and only and ever about Jesus. What if we started looking at one another through the lens of that action? What if I started looking at people who I've grown up calling my enemy through the lens of the action of Christ who said, but wait, because at the cross, I removed the barriers. You can be in relationship with anyone. I don't think it's ironic that in my lifetime, the Berlin Wall came down. It was a symbol of division. It was a symbol of separation. We're keeping this group of people out and this group of people in. And in my lifetime, I watched a wall come down. And the joy that the whole world seemed to feel when the wall started to fall. And now we're working harder than ever to build fences between our neighbors. To set up lines in the sand about the way we worship. And if you don't worship like I worship, then you're not on my team. Friends, there's only one flag, and it's the flag of Jesus Christ. And while I am grateful... I'm grateful to a nation of patriots and servants who have laid their lives down for me to experience freedom. The freedom I have comes first in Jesus Christ and then because people have died to protect it. And I am not confused about the order of things. I want to encourage you not to be confused either because humanity has worked for a long time to create peace. 
right? We've, we've done all kinds of things. We've had summits. We've had treaties. We've written things on paper and made promises to each other, and it's not working. To end hostilities between nations and people groups, but the peace that we yearn for, the peace that will fill us up, does not come from our work. It comes from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when Jesus gave his life so that you and I could experience a relationship with the God of heaven, he purchased, he bought the peace that we so desperately need. And it is that, Paul says, the peace of God which transcends all understandings that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you want to know peace, you need to know Jesus. So if Jesus is the answer, if he is the piece of the puzzle that brings the peace that we need into our lives, why, don't, why doesn't everybody get on this train, right? Where's, what's the catch? What's the limiter? Why am I not all in with Jesus if he gives me everything I need? I think there are three reasons, and the first is sacrifice. Jesus himself said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and be following me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you read these words of Jesus, it sounds like pain comes before peace, and I don't know too many people that sign up for that. What do you mean I have to lay myself down in order to take this up? What do you mean I have to give up something in order to get something? Because we bought into a lie that following Jesus becomes a penalty. There are a group of people that think, oh, when I'm all in with Jesus, there will be no more suffering. Friends, there's suffering in life with or without Jesus, except that with Jesus, the promises are greater. But here's the truth. There are a group of people that have bought into the lie that following Jesus is a penalty. It's going to hurt more. It's going to be harder. Suffering is suffering, friends. Here's what I want to tell you. There's no penalty with Jesus. There's only freedom. But freedom to relinquish control of my life to someone else who knows where I need to go and how I need to get there sounds a little intimidating. I don't like to let other people drive my life. I want to drive my own life. To follow after Jesus means I lay my right to drive down, I scoot over. Actually, I just get in the back seat and let him drive. I don't know too many people signing up for that. I think not only sacrifice is hard, but also because we're selfish. I think selfishness keeps us from choosing Jesus. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and said, We pursue the things which make for peace and the, oh wait, building up of who? Me? No, one another. Paul said, listen, if you want to experience peace, you have to be for the other person and not yourself. Because if we're all for one another, then somebody else will also be taking care of meeting my needs, and I don't have to be worried about meeting my own. But selfishness gets in the way. Well, who's going to take care of this? Well, how am I going to get this? Well, how am I going to get what I need? I've got to take care of myself first, and then I'll take care of everybody else. And God says, you need to flip that. Put it in a different order and experience something you've never experienced before. Paul was communicating a message to people where he was saying, if people will pursue Jesus, they will live in peace. But if they seek to promote their own private ends, to follow their passions and prejudices, life's going to end up with strife and contention and grief and no peace. Paul says ambitious pursuits are rooted in personal gain, but God has other ideas. For instance, have you noticed lately on Facebook and Twitter and social media that everybody who seems to have a political agenda has forgotten that there are people on the other side of Facebook accounts who read these 
salacious comments and arrows and barbs that we throw at each other because we don't care because I'm just putting my platform out there so everybody knows what's right. Instead of remembering that there are people who read those things, who have feelings, who can be wounded. I'm not saying that you can't stand for something that's important. But Jesus said that peace isn't self-centered. It's Christ-centered, which pursues the other before myself. I can stand for the right thing. I can demonstrate right living. I can communicate my passion for things that are right without damaging my neighbor. But it takes an incredible exercise of self-restraint to do so. And selfish people are not self-restrained. Peace isn't centered in self, but in being unified with Christ and other people. Remember that peace means to join together, to make complete. And we understand this when we hear Paul's words to the church at Philippians. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, of the same love, by being united in spirit. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider others better than yourselves. Man, why did he have to say that? What do you mean better? It means that I place someone else before me. It means that their needs are primary to mine. Sacrifice is hard. We are selfish people, and also we don't want to surrender. We don't live with a white flag in our back pocket. We've buried it deep underneath our houses, and we hope to never see it again. And Jesus says, in order to experience peace, you have to surrender. Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of body you are called to peace and be thankful. The Greek word for rule, barbeo, literally means to be in charge of making a decision for somebody else. But it also describes somebody who was the governor of, or director of like Olympic Games. Right? They were in charge of all the rules. They were in charge of making sure that things were fair and orderly. And they were the ones who gave out prizes at the end. Right, That was a brabeo. Paul uses that word to talk about what peace is supposed to do in our hearts. He says, God wants the peace that he has given you to preside over you like the director of games to govern your mind, to make sure everything is orderly and in place, to prevent disorder, to prevent irregularity. He wants peace to rule, to make decisions for you. I don't know about you, but how many times are you at perfect peace when you make a decision? I got a big fat goose egg on my end. I'm always riled up about something, always feeling anxious about something, under a deadline, got some pressure. Never am I completely at peace when I'm making decisions, why? Because I'm not surrendering my mind to allow God to rule there. I have taken back all power and said, I'm going to do this on my own. But Paul says that peace rules. Here's a confession. Most often in my life, when I lack peace, I've stopped letting God preside over my heart and mind. And so the enemy just comes in and fills my mind with lies and distractions and discouragement, and it paralyzes me. I don't know what to do. Because I feel like I know what I'm hearing isn't true, but I don't know how to live into the truth because I have taken control back from God instead of surrendering it to him. For example, when my attentions are more concerned with what other people think about me, 
than whether the Lord is pleased with me. I get distracted. I rabbit trail. I spend more and more and more time obsessing over making one person like me than making sure I live in peace with God in a way that honors and represents the Lord. But maybe that's just me. Maybe none of you do that. Maybe none of you are so concerned about what other people think about you that you have rabbit trailed your life in that direction. Or the days when the enemy reminds me of the shame in my past and I let the weight of who I was override who God now says that I am. I don't have peace, I have guilt. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the only person that deals with feeling guilty about things that were instead of who I am now in Christ. Jesus said to the disciples, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. I've left you this gift, peace of mind. Who doesn't want peace of mind? And peace in your heart, who doesn't want that? And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Ouch. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with something you can't get any other way but through me. The world doesn't have it. You can't buy it. You'll spend the rest of your life shoving stuff into your heart that doesn't belong there. The only way you can get it is through me. And then he says, so don't be troubled or afraid. Why? Because he was heading to Calvary and he knew that trouble was on the horizon for them. He knew that tough things were coming and he says, hey, listen, guys, I love you so much. I need you to know before I go, I've given you a gift. Don't miss it. I've given you the ability to be at peace in your heart and in your mind, and you can't find it anywhere else. So when you are troubled, when you start to fear, remember who I am. And remember what I said. And remember what I told you my father would do, and just wait. Just wait, because it's coming. It's why that before Paul wrote about guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When you get stuck, when you don't feel peace, when you don't know, don't call your neighbor, call Jesus. I don't know how many times we've launched into this campaign about picking up the phone and we text somebody, oh my gosh, you can't believe what's going on. I'm spinning right now. I can't make sense. Heads or tails. Blah, 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 blah. You pick up the phone. I am about to die over here. Call on Jesus. Nobody else can give you the peace that Jesus gives. Nobody else. And, and you say, okay, but I can't see him. I can't feel him. I don't know. Here's the thing. If you don't trust him in the first place, it won't matter. You want to feel something. You want to see something, but you won't surrender to get it. And God says you need to put down the phone and pick up the word because I've been talking to you for decades, for centuries, for thousands of years saying the same thing. I have brought you peace and with this peace I have overcome the world and you can too. If peace isn't a destination that we arrive at, but a person in whom we believe, so how do we get it? First, we rely. We lean in and we rely on Jesus. Isaiah the prophet said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you, not our stuff, not who I should call to fix my stuff, not how I'm going to get out of my stuff, but to center my thoughts on you. 
I love in the original text what this says is that God will give you shalom, shalom. He gives you double peace, perfect peace. It's peace that hems you in behind and before, on your left and on your right, above and below. There's nowhere you can go. God surrounds you with his peace. It's perfect. It's everywhere, which means that when difficulties come, you don't have to call anybody else but Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. Fix your mind on him. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what's on your mind. Don't be anxious. And Paul follows that with saying, if you will not be anxious, if you will fix your thoughts, then the peace that comes through Christ will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Wait, isn't that the gift that Jesus said he was going to leave with us in the first place? Fix your mind on him. Rely and then release. And as the worship team comes to help us close today, I'm going to tell you a really quick story about a, a little boy who had to learn the lesson of release to experience peace. There was a little boy, and he had a, a favorite toy. It had been given to him on his seventh birthday. It was a precious gift from a toy maker in town. And every year on a child's seventh birthday, the toy maker made a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-made-again toy that was only for that child. Everybody that lived in the village knew, and every child waited for their seventh birthday because they knew that they were going to get a toy nobody else had. And this young boy received his toy, and it delighted him. He played with it all the time. He carried it with him to school. He brought it home with him from school. He would tuck it in his pocket and bring it to church. He took it everywhere he went. Until one day he forgot that he had put the toy in his back pocket. And he sat down and the toy broke. And he wept and he cried. Because now this cherished toy that there was never another one of to be made in the world was broken. It was in pieces, which is how most of us feel in our life about right now. And he looked at all the broken pieces and he cried and he cried and he was afraid to tell his parents. He was ashamed that he hadn't taken good care of it. And finally, his father noticed that he wasn't feeling right. And he went to his son and he said, what's wrong? He said, Dad, my toy is broken. My special toy that was just mine and nobody had one like it at all. And it's broken and it will never be the same. And the father wrapped his arm around the son and he said, Oh, son, you forget we know the toy maker. We live right here in the village with the man who made this toy. We will take it to him and he can fix it. So the boy got a shoe box and he put the broken piece into the box and he took it to the toy maker and he said, my, my dad told me you can fix what's broken. And he handed it over to the toy maker, and the toy maker opened the box. And he looked inside, and he said, well, son, we have a problem. The boy was crestfallen. What, what, what do you mean? My, my father told me that you could fix anything. That you can fix what's broken because you're the one that made it. And you're the only one that knows how to put it back together. And the toy maker said, well, I can't you've only brought me one piece if you want me to put your toy back together I have to have all the pieces the boy returned home and he gathered up his toy and the broken part and returned it to the toy maker and within a few days that toy was functioning as good as new and just as an act of generosity and kindness the toy maker gave it a brand new paint job 
so it looked more new than it was the day the boy got it and put it all back together. And the story of the toy maker is really just to make this point, that if you don't give God all the pieces, you can't know what his piece is. God's not interested in just this fragment of your life that's not working. God's not interested in just this little compartment over here. You haven't figured out how to fix yourself. What he wants is release. He wants you to open your hands and say, I'm going to trust you with my life because I understand that you have a gift that nobody else can give and it's available to me. And you'll actually put me together better than I was in the beginning if I'll just give you all the pieces. I don't know where all of you are today in your relationship with Jesus. I know some of you. And I know some of you are doing okay. Some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time and know a lot more about him than I do. But if I were to guess, there are some of you in the room today who have given him a few pieces but not everything. And if you want to know peace, if you want to live your life to the full like Jesus offered, what he has said, I I have given you a gift that the world cannot give. But if you want to take up the gift that I'm giving, you're going to have to lay it down. You're going to have to lay all the pieces down and take what I offer instead. So I want to invite you this morning. If you've got some things you need to lay down in front of the Lord, one of the ways that we do that in this fellowship is um, by praying. We have altars here, and for some of you that feels really weird. You're not even sure what that's about. It's always been a place where sacrifices were presented, where, where as people were coming to atone for their sins, where the priests would go in to atone for the sins of the people, they would bring their sacrifices and lay them on the altar. It's sort of a place of surrender, where I come and say, God, I know I don't have physically anything in my hands, but I'm just going to give you all the pieces of my life because I really, I need to be put back together. But maybe for you, you want to pray by yourself. You don't want anybody to come and invade that space. And if you want to do that this morning, this side of the room, this altar, this front row, is a place where you can come and sit and pray to come forward as an act of saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to let you have it. I'm giving up my pieces today. But maybe you're not sure about what that looks like or you need somebody to walk through that moment with you and if that's you if you want somebody to pray with you this morning this front row this this altar here to my left is a place where you can come and do that i'm just going to encourage you this morning i'm not going to manipulate or coerce all i can tell you is that god has given you a gift in jesus christ that the world cannot give He desperately wants you to receive it. But if you're going to take it up, you're going to have to lay some stuff down. Don't let today be one more day that you leave wondering where to find the peace that you're desperately looking for. Because his name is Jesus and he is right here for you right now. The prophet foretold that God would give double peace. Shalom, shalom. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are set on him because they trust him. God's not asking you for an empty faith, friends. He's not asking you to place your faith and trust in something or someone that will not come through. He is asking you to put your trust and faith in him alone, and he is yet to provide.
break a promise. And he has no intention of starting today. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of God. When you fix your eyes on that Jesus, you will experience a peace that you never have. But don't keep it to yourself. This exceedingly, abundantly generous God that we serve has said, it's not peace to be hoarded, but peace to be shared. So go take the peace of Christ to the world. You are loved. Go. Go.